Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment, sponsored by Tech Help Boston. So many stories have come my way, and each and every one of them is like a diamond. It's a jewel discovered at the bottom of the ocean. I feel so fortunate to spend time with these exceptional women. So do me a quick favor and put your hand on your heart. And now close your eyes and listen. Just listen to the beat of your heart. If you think about it, everything flows from your heart. You can't live without it. Your heart is so much more than a muscle, too. It's where love lives. In the spotlight, a woman whose life's work has come from the heart. She's a lifelong singer, a songwriter, a musician, whose music is written through the lens of social issues that break her heart sometimes, or even just make her heart skip a beat. She's also a heart-centered body psychotherapist whose revolutionary work has been embraced by experts and trailblazers in the field all around the world. A child prodigy who played the piano before she could speak. This is a woman whose story must be told. Her name is Linda Marks, and this is her story. Linda, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Candy. That was so poignant. We start the show with uh, something a little silly. It's called Candy O's Lightning Round, and we hmm. do this so that our listeners can get a quick glimpse into your personality. Are you ready? Okay. Five questions. Don't overthink it. Just give me a quick answer. Coffee or tea? Tea. Take the elevator or walk up the steps? Steps. Favorite instrument? This will be hard. Piano. <laughs> for me, piano. For not me, saxophone, cello, violin. Injustice or cause you refuse to back down about? Children, four-legged animals, gun violence. Your perfect day begins with blank and ends with blank. Begins meditating with Scarlet, my Maine Coon cat, sleeping on my heart. Ends meditating with Scarlet, my Maine Coon cat, sleeping on my heart. You have just released your latest album. I'm, I'm holding it in my hands right now. It's beautiful. And might I say, a very sexy photograph of you <laughs> on the other side. It's called In Grace. And like your previous Endeavor moments, these are songs that come from your heart. Give me a taste of the album, and I know these are all like your babies, but do you have a favorite? I don't have a favorite. I can talk about the critics' favorites, though. I wrote a song called Tree of Life, which is a prayer to end gun violence, and that has been getting quite a lot of radio play. The CD is called In Grace. Where did that come from? Grace is a quality that I really believe is crucial for our lives and our world. It includes love. But it includes so many different aspects of being spiritually grounded, of living from the heart. It's a quality that's very important to me to incorporate into the way I live in each moment. And it's a quality I wish to continue to develop in the way I go about life in the world. You were also very much affected by the shooting of David Ortiz. Very much so at many levels. When the marathon bombing happened, he was the voice for Boston Strong. He pulled people together. He may be a phenomenal retired athlete, but he's a phenomenal person with a gigantic heart. He really knows how to pull people together as a community. The work that he's done for children, for children with heart issues, both in this country and the Dominican Republic. 
when my own son, who's now 23, was a teenager, there was a day people were invited to come onto the field and meet players before the game. And David was one of the players. And when the security people were telling everyone, okay, that's enough, that's it. David said, no, I'm not going to disappoint one kid who came. If a kid took the time to come here, I'm going to spend some time with each kid. And he did that. That's just a little vignette into my experience of David. And I was devastated when he was shot. This CD is doing very well. It's being critically acclaimed as just another one of your heartful endeavors. How does that feel? It feels good. This is my second time around as a professional musician. I'm very grateful because when I was able to fully commit a thousand percent for the second time, it's letting my heart have its voice. It's opening the creative channel and letting that have its space. So let's tell the story. Let's go back to you as a toddler playing the piano yes. before you could even talk, Linda. Yes. For me, my first word was piano when I did talk at three. For me, a piano was magic. And whenever I saw one, I did not have one at home. It was like a magnetic pull just pulled me to the piano and I'd start writing music as soon as my fingers touched the keys. You could hear songs in your head and yes. then play them on the piano. Absolutely. That, to me, seems like you're a prodigy, for sure. Well, when I was three, because we didn't have a piano, and I started using the word piano all the time, my father actually totally squished my spirit. He would always say, music is a waste of a good mind. So it's taken me my entire <laughs> life to accept this is really who I am. This is my voice. I would still go to the piano, even though I was being told not to. My mother found a free recorder program at the Laundry School of Music, and I had zero interest in recorder, but the operative word was free. And the people there told my parents I was gifted and talented and that I should be encouraged rather than squished. You then gathered the money together to buy a guitar at only 11. Yes. And then two years later, you bought your first piano with your own yes. money. How did you get the money? How did you raise the money? I was a, I've always been a hardworking kid. I'd shovel snow. I'd mow lawns. I'd paint rocks and sell them. I'd do something that the neighbor needed. I would figure out whatever I could possibly do that I could earn money. You know, I am really interested in... The fact that your dad said music is a waste of a good mind, because when you feel passionately about something and someone as close to you as a parent says this is a waste of your time, it's really also a refusal to acknowledge a love and a gift. Absolutely. How did you keep it alive then? I had a very difficult early path. I was a pioneer anorexic when I was 13 years old, and I was like a really good kid. I was straight A's. I was class president. I was a leader. I innovated. It was never the right thing. So whatever passion I had was always squished, and it came out through my anorexia. When I was 16, a stranger tried to rape and murder me on my way back from my job at Fenway Park, and I was in harm's way because of the conditions in my home. I was still me, and I still went for the things in my heart, but the fact that I wasn't seen for who I was led me to literally be an at-risk young kid, even though I got into Yale, even though I was a straight-A student and class president, I was still on the streets at night because it wasn't really safe to be at home. That's an overwhelming story. How did you survive that? That was a gift, and it goes back to the in grace. I can say grace is how I survived it, just as grace is how David Ortiz survived what happened to him. I, as a child, was on a life-death borderline my whole childhood. And in fact, when I was in eighth grade, I was the class president. I'd written the song for the graduation, my first publicly performed song I wrote as a songwriter. 
everyone saw me as this amazing leader and I was absolutely miserable. So I tried to hang myself from a, a shade in the classroom. And when one of the janitors found me, but he couldn't believe it was true because no one, no one could put together, how could this talented leader kid be doing that? No one saw the pain in my heart. So I was invisible even when I was calling out for pain in the nonverbal ways I could. My turning point happened when I was basically coming off the tee. And as I was walking down the street, a stranger came out of the shadows and I had a pocketbook with a strap that he wrapped around my neck and he threw me to the ground in back of an alley where he started strangling me. And because I already knew how to sing, I knew how to breathe diaphragmatically because he was squishing in my chest. And if I didn't know how to breathe diaphragmatically, I would not be here today. I was literally one second away from having no more energy and having to give up. And he took me by the pocketbook strap and he dragged me across the lawn through some hedges into a pebbled alley where he started to beat me and he decided he was gonna rape me. And at that point, I really did not know how to get out of there alive. So I turned it over to the God I was never raised to believe in. And I say, God, I want to live. The message that came through my heart is then you need to commit to your mission. I was afraid to be me because I was afraid that was going to happen to me. Now I was 16. It was already happening to me. So when I turned it over to God, the message was commit to your mission. I said from my heart to God, I commit. And a little voice came through my heart that told me to forgive the man who was beating me up. And without using my brain to think about what it meant, I said, I forgive you. And he burst into tears and stopped beating me. And metaphorically, that was my first therapy client. And that's where the heart-centered body psychotherapy work that I've been doing for many decades originated. I listened to this story, and I hardly even know how to respond to all of the pain that you have known. Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted TechHelpBoston.com since the year 2000. Dave Elmazian, president of TechHelpBoston, with the reasons why. It's really about forging a relationship and having a trusting relationship because your technology is very personal to you. It used to be in the old days that things were private. When you're online, nothing is private anymore. And we want to make sure that that information is kept confidential and with somebody that you trust and you feel comfortable with. You can trust Tech Help Boston to keep your computer and systems running right. Call 781-484-1265 or visit techhelpboston.com. That's techhelpboston.com. Let's go away from the music, mm -hmm. which is flowing through your veins, but let's take it up on what's called EKP, Emotional Kinesthetic Psychotherapy. You have taught this, practiced this, you are a published author. Mm -hmm. What is this? Emotional kinesthetic psychotherapy works with what I call the emotion-body interface. When a person has any kind of physical symptom, it could be a knot in your stomach, it could be a headache that won't go away, a lump in your throat, there's emotional material just under the surface that we often don't have access to. The flip side is when you have a psychological, emotional, mental health symptom like depression or anxiety. There are often somatic symptoms. A person who's depressed might feel a heaviness in their heart. When a person is anxious, they might feel a clenching in their belly or feel their fist clenching. The information at that emotion body interface is critical for us to be able to get to the core of who we are, what hurts, what we need, where our vision is. 
Our culture is not emotionally safe. Emotional safety is the foundation of the work that I do. When I was in my 20s and I was on the speaker circuit, one of the things I observed is that when people lacked emotional safety, just about any symptom that would send someone to a medical doctor or psychotherapist would appear. And when a person experienced emotional safety, they reported inner peace and well-being. Part of emotional safety is a kind of introspective, heart-centered meditation. Our culture doesn't teach us to go inside. It doesn't teach us to listen to what's going on in our hearts and our bodies moment by moment. We have a very head-centered culture. And if we literally lose our mind and come to our senses, a whole world is available to us. Another critical piece is learning to become embodied. You know, people go to personal trainers for bodybuilding. I help people do emotional and bodybuilding. We need to become emotionally embodied. So emotional safety is part of it. Meditation is part of it. Learning to literally be grounded, feeling the chair under your tailbone, the floor under your feet, the the back of your chair supporting your back. From that space, I can help a person start to notice the knot in the stomach or the tension in in their chest. And I use touch with permission to work through emotional issues at a body level. So what that might look like is say a person is talking about the loss of a family member and they feel a heaviness in their chest. I ask, is it okay to explore this? They get to say yes or no. If they say yes, is it okay if I give you my hand? And can you show me where the heaviness is? And can you place my hand exactly where you feel the heaviness? and adjust it to the right quality of contact that's the way it feels for you. Most people have never been touched this way, so I let them guide it as though my hand is a piece of clay that they sculpt, and when they get it just right, this person might burst into tears. So there's a very, very deep kind of healing that has a developmental psychology overlay. Despite everything that happened to you in your childhood, you end up at Yale, you then go off to the Sloan School of MIT, You write this book. You specialize in this incredible kind of psychotherapy, the book Living with Vision, Reclaiming the Power of the Heart. You create the Institute for Emotional Kinesthetic Psychotherapy. You develop an apprenticeship training program. You are on fire. And you become a mom. Tell me about the experience of becoming a mother. Alexander is your son. He's born in 1996. I wanted to be a mom more than anything else. I had two missions. One was the work in the world and the other was to be a mom. I honestly didn't know if it was going to happen for two reasons. One is because of the anorexia at 13. I was told that I might not be able to have children, which was devastating. In fact, what got me out of the behavior of starving myself was that information. So when I did get pregnant, I was absolutely over the moon. I changed my life to make my priority being a mom. I still had my school, but I could not have the training program that I'd been doing that I loved. I built my life around being at home with my son and for him to be number one. Sadly, I became a single mom when he was two and three quarters, and I was divorced when he was four and a half. So then I had to also provide my own child support because that was not part of what I had. So that made my life a lot smaller. And yet it was still critical that I give my son whatever he needed. Do you think that part of your zest, your need to provide this child with security, with love, with positive messages had to do with the fact that you didn't get that? Absolutely. I mean, I know what it feels like when you don't get it. And therefore, I know how important it is to provide that. 
all the while, you have been sort of at this point in your life going off in a different direction. You've got an entire career going on with the Institute for Emotional Kinesthetic Psychotherapy. You've got this very highly regarded career, but you still miss the music. There was no way as a single mom I could continue the professional music career I started in my early 20s. My first album actually came out in the 1980s. That's a long time ago when I was very, very young. So you had given it up. I had had to put it aside because I could not do that under my circumstances. What was it like for you when you finally had the ability to re-engage and sing again? It was two things. It felt like I absolutely had to. It's, there's a saying, don't die with the music still inside of you. I was exploding and imploding for decades. And when my son was about 12, I actually felt like I have to write music. I have to be performing again. But between his needs and then my mom had Alzheimer's, I was literally in the middle of the intergenerational sandwich. And every step forward I'd take, I'd have three backwards. <laughs> A person I sought out for coaching at that point in time was Rebecca Paris, who is such a beautiful being. I'm very sad that we lost her. But when I would go see Rebecca, I would cry about 90% of the time and sing 10% of the time. In order to get my voice back and in order to re-engage in being a professional musician, I had a lot of tears to cry. Wow. She was an amazing artist, and I met her only once, but boy, did she have a spirit. She could light up the entire room. Have you always wanted to do the right thing? Always. And not only have I always wanted to, I've always made every possible effort to do the right thing my entire life. The CD is called In Grace, and it's available now. What's next for you? Honestly, I would love to meet a real partner who appreciates my passion and energy and is not intimidated by me. Musically, I have made the commitment to really fully embrace the channel and let whatever's there emerge. And as things happen in the world, songs come forward. My 2020 album, The Piano, it has a lot of autobiographical songs of all different kinds that have emerged, including the title song, The Piano, which is a story about how the little girl had to get her own piano. I love that In Grace is the predecessor because that whole spirit of grace is really how I envision my future life. I don't have control of all the things that happen in the world or the things that happen to me personally. What I can do is my very best is try to be as grounded and graceful as I possibly can with whatever comes in life. Tell me what happens when you perform. In essence, because music connects us heart to heart, I see the room as an opportunity to create a community of heart. So people walk out feeling enriched. They've cried. They've laughed. They can relate. They've been touched. Everyone walks home feeling like something has touched them. Do you always listen to your heart? Yes. What does it tell you? It tells me whatever it has to say in the moment. It tells me what my truth is what I read intuitively off of almost any other person or situation, what music to write, because that's where the songs come from. Well, one of the songs that you very often close your shows with is a beautiful song called Light Up the Love. How do you want people to feel when they hear that song? I want them to feel like they have the one human superpower we all have, which is the ability to love. That's not my line. It's Jerry Manier who founded the Light Up the Love movement. That's his whole frame. 
And if we can learn to be love every day in every way, love ourselves, love one another, love our world, we can transform the world for the better. So I like people to leave inspired, connected, and ready to go make a difference. What is the best piece of advice you could give to a young singer, songwriter, who feels like her talent is not being acknowledged, who wants to sing but is told music is the waste of a good mind? I listen to them, and I listen to where their passion is because people need to be listened to where their passion is. And then I look at how I can support them personally. So I'd say you deserve mentorship and support, and I'm happy to help you any way I can. And listen to your heart. If you love it, you need to do it. Is that what success is? My definition of success is following your heart and living your life from your heart. And then the things that you manifest from your heart feel authentic, true, and powerful. Linda Marks, I want to say thank you so much for sharing your story today, for being so candid. And best of luck to you on In Grace. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry. This is a series with one goal in mind, to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. If you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, she'd love to hear about it. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?